Hello, everyone. My name is Joe Morton, and welcome to this episode of my podcast, A Cup of Joe. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for being here and listening, and thank you for sharing it with friends and family members and anyone who feel who you feel could use this content in their daily lives and their journey to their better version of, with their health and wellness goals and objectives that they're trying to accomplish in their lives. And so I am super excited about today's podcast. I've got a longtime friend, uh, Chris Pomeroy from Shelburne, Ontario. We grew up together in my little town, Chris, our town was like 3,000 people growing up. I mean, it didn't change. It was 3,000 and it continued to be 3,000, but now it's ballooned to what? I don't know. It's like 8,000 or something like that or 7,000. It's really grown quite a lot, but grateful. Um, We went to school together. Uh, I was, I think, closer to your sister Laura's age, right? I mean, I want to say she was kind of in between me and my brother Dave. Does that sound right, Chris? Yeah, I mean she's uh she was born in in 69. So, um oh, Okay, so she's a little yeah, bit older was, than me. 1 year older than me. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. uh Yeah, you guys were uh when I was in grade 9, um I know my sister Laura was uh doing grade 13 and stuff, so um yeah, I uh it's safe to say that uh that I looked up to well, of course I looked up to her and I thought uh, her friends were were pretty cool, and um, you being one of them, I I thought uh, the whole group of you guys were were pretty cool, and uh, yeah, so I fun, up to you for sure. so fun. So for those <laughs> in the United States listening, he mentioned grade thirteen. Yes, there was that strange period of time. Remember, Chris? Like I don't know how long it lasted, but we called it um, Ontario Academic Credits (OACs), where there was a thirteenth grade. And, uh, that's kind of bizarre to think, um, in the United States that's never existed. And I don't think it exists right now in Canada. Um, but it was this period of time that maybe five to six or seven years or something where they did this deal called OAC. So for those who are listening, yes, we did have a grade 13 for a little while. That was kind of fun, fun period of time. But, uh, Chris, Chris, uh, I've been following you on social media for years, Chris, and I love that about social media. You know, I haven't been, I've been living in the States now for 30, almost 32 years now and uh, started in Hawaii and and settled in Utah. And I've been here for over 31 years in Utah, 30 years in Utah. And, um, but I feel like I've been following you all along. Like we've been able to hang out because I follow you on social media and I've been very fascinated with your journey. You have, been in the motocross sport in that world of motocross competing from an early age and you've continued it competing throughout your adult life and you continue to compete right now, but you've also made it your, your, um, profession with your website and your business that you have going. And I just, while we were talking recently, I thought, man, we need to make this a podcast because I think this is a fascinating, not many people think of motocross as a sport. Of course, it's a sport, but I was, I was came when we were talking about this, Chris, and I want to jump into have you, in fact, why don't we just start with you telling us about your journey? You started this when you were a teenager and you stuck and you became very good and you competed all over. Tell us about that journey. When did that start for you? And, and tell us about that. Well, I mean, I guess it, it's, you know, one of those, one of those stories of, uh, <clears throat> you know, it just started as, you know, a kid riding around a farmer's field. You know, my dad had uh, some property and he came from a, a two-wheel background. And so did my cousin. So there was kind of a, definitely a family connection early on. And I actually got, um, I think my dad got me my first bike when I was, when I was five. Um, we used to go to, like I said, my cousin was involved in riding and racing. So when I was three and four, we used to go and watch him at, you know, kind of local tracks here in Ontario. And yeah, just at one of the races, I remember, I don't remember every detail, but I kind of remember the experience that we went to this one track and they had a pro shop and they sold bikes and there was a little Suzuki was called a Suzuki JR50 and they used to let you test ride the bikes in those days and they had this little field in front of the shop 
and we went up and my dad's like, oh, you know, would you let my son take this for a little ride and stuff? And I'm like, you know, the salesman's like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we do. So I wrote her, they had this little figure eight track. So I rode her around there. Um, now I've been riding a bicycle for, for quite some time. So I had a little proficiency on two wheels at the time. So I was able to ride the bike and obviously knew how to how throttle work and everything. So we came back, got off the bike and we handed it back to the salesman. And my dad was like, okay, well, you know, thank you. I really appreciate it. And we walked away and went to watch races. And then, um, around lunchtime that day, my dad was like, oh, I'm going to get us some lunch at the local, you know, cantina that was at the track. And, um, you know, you just wait right here, you know, don't move. I get lunch. I'll bring it back. I'm like, okay. So I sat there and watched races and little did I know that my dad had gone back to the pro shop, bought the bike, put it in the trunk of our car. We drove home at the end of the day, got home, walked in the house. My dad goes, Hey, Chris, I forgot something in the trunk of the car. Can you go out and get it? Here's the key. So I walked out, you know, in those days it was, you know, you put a big key in this lock and try to turn it. And I popped the trunk and there was a Suzuki JR 50. So, um, it was pretty cool. And that was, uh, yeah, that was the beginning of it all. We put, my dad built a little track in our property and, um, I don't know if I rode every day, but I'll bet you I was out there burning gas, you know, six days a week. It was, uh, it was love at first sight. And, uh, like you said, it's continued on in one way, shape or form to today. All those years, decades and decades later, that's incredible. What a powerful moment for you and your dad. Great, great experience between you and your dad too, I bet. eh? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, that was the start of, uh, you know, we did a lot together. We were, we were also farming. My dad farmed. Um, he was a an airline pilot by trade, but um, on his days off, he he decided that we should farm. So we tried to farm, and of course, um, you know, I had, like I said before, I had an older sister Laura, I had a younger brother uh, Dennis, um, but I was the chosen helper to my dad so we farmed and then we weren't farming you know we were riding he continued riding um of course like i said my cousin would come over and ride we had a couple other friends um you remember uh gray kittle from high school oh yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely um he rode i didn't know gray i didn't know gray rode yeah gray and his brother dirk rode and his dad his dad was a pilot dad was an airline yeah so you know, of course, our dads flew together, and uh, you know, when you're sitting up there at uh, thirty thousand feet with nothing to do except talk, you you know, oh, I, you know, my kids ride. Oh, my kids ride. Oh, we should get together. So, um, yeah, they would come over and ride. So, um, yeah, I had lots of lots of riding partners uh, through that you know early stages, and um, yeah, it was just kind of my dad and I, and then. My younger brother started riding when he got a little bit older. So it really was, um, it really was a family, kind of a family affair and a family activity that we all did. That's so cool. And when did you, when did you start competing? I want to say that was like in your teen years, right? Yeah. So I, I turned pro when I was, uh, 16. Um, so it was, uh, you know, I was still pretty young, but, um, back in those early days, they didn't have like the local races here didn't have a, like a 50 CC class or, or any classes for, for those bikes. So I didn't really have anywhere to race, um, my 50. So we just, uh, you know, I just basically spent my days in those early years, just practicing and, um, putting laps in. And then, um, once I got onto an 85, well, I guess it was an EDCC back then, but uh, that's when I was, they had a class at the races and that's when I started racing. So that would have been, uh, I don't know, I think when I was probably eight, 
eight or nine, um, I started actually competing. Wow. That's so cool. And uh, tell us about motocross, first of all, for those listening Tell us about the sport. What are you trying to accomplish? There's different, there's different tracks and, and, and of course, very important that you learn to build up to these things. So it's a good thing that you start with a 50 and you go up to an ADCC and then you kind of go from there as the track changes, correct? Tell us about that track. Well, yeah, I mean, it's all, uh, so motocross is, is kind of, it's all closed or competition, right? So you're on, um, uh, you're just pretty much doing laps on a, on a track. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's, it's an ever changing environment. Um, you're at the mercy of, of mother nature, right? So she can throw some, some stuff at you that, uh, that you're not expecting. Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, I, they call it, I think the original extreme sport, uh, because you're, you know, there's jumps, there's corners, there's, you know, whoops, there's just about everything. And, um, you know, you're trying to navigate all this. Well, you know, sometimes being elbow to elbow with, with another rider who's trying to do the exact same thing. Right. So it, uh, yeah, it can become, if it can become pretty, pretty crazy at times, but, um, you know, as you can imagine, it's heck of a lot of fun most of the time yes right so i think that's the that's the draw to it and then um you know like i made mention of it it really is at a younger age it really is a an incredible family sport the races you know the amateur races are you know very family friendly um you know you see in the paddock you know kids parents um, even the, you know, siblings that don't race, they're there hanging out. Um, you know, everyone fairly helpful. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just an unbelievable environment. And I mean, even as you get older and this kind of, this always impresses me too, is that even it's a sport where you see not just young kids hanging out with their families. Um, but also, you know, as you get into your late teens, sometimes even into your early twenties, you'll see families together. And I mean, how, how often do you, you know, I know being Canadian and you know, being involved with hockey and stuff, there's, you know, once you get to 16, 17, you know, a player will start driving to the games themselves and, you know, or driving to practice themselves and the parents, you know, sometimes take a little step back of, of being so involved. Uh, but that's not, that's not always the case at, uh, at motocross races where, you know, you just, you see them all, you know, parents, teenagers hanging out. Um, so that's, uh, that's always part of the sport that, that impresses me. Right. Because it's, uh, you know, as you get older, I turned 50 last year. So, as you get older and look back on, on the sport in your life, uh, you know, you really have, you know, I built some wonderful memories, um, you know, with my parents, my brother and sister at the races, um, friends. It's just, uh, it's been a, a great experience overall. Wow. That is so cool. So I love that, by the way, love what you were just talking about, uh, with family involvement and friends and, and, uh, it's, it's a social, social experience and a great, great spectator sport. Let me tell you, boy, this is pretty exciting to watch, watch, uh, a motocross race and rally. So after we were, we were talking recently about this and I was, I was, as I was studying the sport a little bit, I came across an article and, uh, it, it's an interesting, it's, uh, you I think it was motocross parts magazine or something like that. And it says why motocross is a physically demanding sport. It starts off by saying, all you're doing is sitting on a machine and going around in circles, right? Like kind of laughing, you know, and, um, and it highlights an, an, uh, a study that was done at ESPN 
through ESPN where the where they talk about how incredibly physically demanding the sport is. Um, not just strength wise, but strength, flexibility, agility, uh, balance, mental, psychological, uh, cardiovascular. In fact, they talk about in a in a race, your heart race is as much as ninety five to ninety six percent of your maximum heart rate. I mean. Yep. It is very physical. It is very cardiovascular demanding. It is very mentally. I like you said. If you're elbow to elbow with someone, boy, that's gonna that's gonna play a little bit with your with the psychological aspect of things. Um, you're trying to win, of course. Uh, talk to like that's a lot to kind of unpackage there right now. But talk about the physical. Let's start with maybe the physical demands of the sport. I mean, what did you need to do when you were like you were competing? You were you went pro you needed to keep yourself physically fit. What did that mean to you? What were some of the things that made a difference? And you mentioned that to me the other day, that that was a, that was a dif, dif, uh, differentiating factor with you in all your workouts to keep you so strong and fit during that, during those periods of, of competing. Let's start with physical. Well, I mean, when I, looking at the time period when I, when I turned pro, um, you know, like I said earlier, I was 16. Um, you know, like any 16 year old or most 16 year olds, I should say, um, you know, you have that teenage brain. So you're, you know, maybe overconfident, um, you know, confidence. I didn't have to search for, for confidence. Um, on the bike at that point, let's put it that way. So, um, you know, I turned pro, you know, confident, ready to race against, um, which, I mean, that's something I guess kind of cool about this sport, um, is that, you know, when you turn pro, you're, um, if you turn pro at 16, I mean, you're racing, chances are, there might be a couple other teenagers in the pro class, but most of the guys you're racing against are, you know, men, right? So, um, you know, you're competing right away against, you know, older, stronger, more experienced individuals um, who, you know, the nature of, of the sport is, um, you know, it's a dog eat dog world, so to speak. So um, they don't care who you are, what you've accomplished in your amateur career. Um, you know, their job is to beat you. And if it means, uh, you know, tactics that, you know, in normal society, um, you know, are questionable, uh, you know, in motocross and I'm assuming it's other sports too. It's, uh, you know, anything goes, so to speak. Right. So, um, you know, like I said, I turned pro thought I was, you know, ready mentally, physically up until that point, all I'd really done was just ride, 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 like hour upon hour of riding. Right. So obviously my proficiency on the bike was good. Um, I was a smooth, smooth rider by nature, meaning that, um, I was very cerebral on the bike. I could choose smooth lines. Um, I could see the track very well. Um, and what I mean by that was, you know, as you're doing laps and, you know, looking ahead, um, I could put kind of the track together as a, um, almost like a river, like a very flowing um, flow from corner to corner, um, which, you know, believe it or not, even riders at the top level, not everyone does that well, right? It, that's kind of one of the separators of how you put a track together, right? And it's same if, you know, if you compare it to, you know, say someone skiing down a mountain, um, you know, there might be someone who's a good skier, um, but they, you know, they're kind of notchy and, you know, 
maybe uh, can't see certain lines develop or um, anticipate what's coming. But um, you get another skier who's, you know, super smooth, knows kind of what's coming. You know, they're two corners ahead of of where they are and stuff. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be that type of rider. So when I turned pro, um, things started off kind of relatively easy for me as far as success. I was able to, you know, kind of bring the amateur success to the pro class, um, maybe not winning, but certainly, you know, as a top five kind of rider and stuff, right? So I kind of got almost a false sense of security in the early uh, early couple of years, the early year, first year as a pro, because I was like, oh, this is, this is not, uh, this isn't too bad. I just go out and ride and go home and practice during the week. And um, yeah, things are good. And then my um, halfway through my first full year of racing pro, I had, um, it was kind of a relatively easy crash, but um, ended up breaking my leg pretty badly. And I ended up missing the next kind of six months of, of riding and just the normal routine that I'd been in for, you know, almost a decade. Right. And, um, yeah. So when I came back to pro, um, all healed up, you know, mentally thinking, no, this is, I'm just going to pick up where I left off. Um, I was, uh, (laughs) it quickly became apparent to me that, uh, the sport, especially at that level was, uh, going to be uh, a lot harder than what I anticipated. So at that point, um, you know, I think back now, um, like since I'd had a relatively, I don't want to use the word easy, but you know, relatively, you know, kind of easy ride to easy rise to the pro class. And even prior to the injury, things were going well. Um, I didn't know kind of how to work at the sport or how to work at training off the bike. Um, just how to work through issues because, you know, things had been all good. Right. So, um, it took me probably the rest of my teenagers. Like I would say three, maybe almost four seasons to figure out um, just how to, how to work at it. Like how to, you know, that training during the week was going to be beneficial to how I did on the weekend. Right. Because in my mind prior to that, um, you know, it was just all about the weekends, right. And uh, having fun and riding and, you know, doing well. And, And then of course there's that, off the bike, there's that whole transition that everyone goes through from, you know, being a teenager to kind of becoming a man, right? And um, that's just human nature. And so to have to go through that, you know, while trying to be a, a professional athlete, um, you know, at the time you're just trying to deal with it. But I mean, like, obviously we have hindsight now we look back and like, okay, that's why, that's why that was a struggle or that's why, mm-hmm. you know, always that always. was tough. So, so yeah. that, that accident became like a catalyst to push you into now you got to start preparing every week for these events. Cause of course you're a teenager. I mean, you're Superman when you're a teenager, you know, nothing can go wrong, but, um, but that catalyst helped you now prepare for each event. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like a a light switch or it wasn't overnight. It wasn't an overnight process. It was, uh, it took, um, you know, it took kind of, like I said, almost four years um, of just, um, because I lost, um, as I was going through that, 
um, that whole, I mean, I call it a, maybe a transition. As I was going through that, I mean, the results didn't come like they were before. Um, you know, so you lose, you lose confidence. And I mean, I built up a lot of confidence, like I said, you know, little by little each year for a long time. And then to have that stripped away, um, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of, um, I don't want to say dark days, but there was a lot of days where you're just like, you know, I'll even go as far as to say where you're like, man, is this, is this worth it? Is this, uh, you know, is this really what I want to do? And what drove you through that? Chris, what drove you through those dark days? Did you have like a strong why or a purpose that, that helped drive you through those moments? Well, I think it, it was a, like a lot of things. It was a combination of things. I think part of it was kind of a feeling at the time that I was only good at, this was all I was good at. And I'd done this for so long that, um, I better find a way to succeed at this because um, I didn't know what else, like there was no plan B, right? I didn't know what, you know, I wasn't doing this. And at that time I was like, what the hell would I do with myself? Right. So, um, you know, you better make, find a way to make this work. Um, And then (laughs) there was obviously, um, you know, some people, you know, we all need those, kind of individuals that that come into their our lives that uh you know they might just be there for for a brief moment but um the timing is perfect and we draw you know uh, wisdom energy motivation from from certain people um so i had that um you know my family my girlfriend at the time who you know was turned into my wife she was she was super supportive. Um, I had a great, kind of a great support group. Support team is so important, isn't it? Surrounding yourself with the people who are going to help you achieve your dreams, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they, you know, my parents, um, you know, must've been, they never, you know, really let on, you know, how difficult it was on them. But looking back now and, you know, as a parent myself now, um, you know, it's weird because you want to see your, you want to see your child, you don't want to see them struggle, but you kind of know they have to for the greater good. Um, but man, it's painful. It's hard on a parent, as you know, to see your, your child go through tough times. So, I mean, I can only imagine you know, how they felt at the time, just seeing me kind of struggle. Right. Um, But that helped you become that, that rider. I mean, you continued on to compete after that. How long did you compete by the way? Well, I was pro for 12 seasons. So um, I competed right up till my late kind of late twenties. And it was some, like even that, that era of motocross in Canada, you know, ninety. So, put it into context of years. I turned professional kind of in the fall of 1989, and then um, the in the early 90s in Canada there was a recession, and you know we all know in a recession the first thing that it goes is you know things toys like dirt bikes and everything so um, the industry really took a hit up here in you know kind of the early 90s and then carried on through till you know probably the mid 90s um you know 97 98 and that was my you know those are my years like those are my kind of golden years so uh, there was a lot of uh struggles with you know just basically you were racing for for money there was no there was no guaranteed salary there was no um you know money for 
for extra things. It was you either uh, you go race, and if you want to make you know a living, um, big or small, it's what you make from racing. So you better go do it, and you better do it well. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, I did a lot of a lot of racing each each season, which um, I look back now, and I mean it's it's great. I race you know, probably 30, 35 times a year from, you know, in those early, you know, from, you know, say 1991-ish to, you know, 99, 98, 99. Yeah, there was a lot of race and a lot of time spent on the road. Um, But, you know, it was also, it was a grind, obviously, but and it was fun and I wouldn't change, you know, it's funny you, when you think back, I wouldn't change. I don't think I'd change it for, I might do a couple of things different, obviously, but uh, I wouldn't change that whole, that whole racing in that era for anything. Cause it really was kind of a, just a pure, like, you know, going to races with your mechanic and um, your girlfriend sometimes and just, is there a race and you didn't like your competition. They didn't like you because you're all racing for, you know, for, for the purse money. And um, if someone beat you, then you looked at them and you're like, you're basically taking money from me. So <laughs> I don't like you. And so competition versa. was stiff for sure. It was good. It was pretty gnarly at times. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What's the biggest gap that you had to jump? Is there a standard gap that you would jump in motocross? I mean, obviously in, in indoor racing and supercrosses and stuff, um, that's probably where you you come across, you know, kind of the biggest the biggest gaps. Um, outdoors, they keep, you know, you'll, outdoors on you'll come across sometimes the odd jump that's that's big, but they they try to keep the outdoor tracks, <clears throat> excuse me, a little tamer as far as jumps go, just because, um, you know, they get rough. Um, you know, you're racing outdoor races. The duration is longer. Um, you know, it's in the summer, so it's hot. Um, it's just a little more about endurance. So they try not to test you so much with, you know, jumping a hundred feet or so, but, um, you know, indoors, um, in those days, you know, you could have a, a triple jump, which, you know, is, is three jumps and you take off from the first one and, and land on the, the backside of the third one. Um, those could be up to maybe 75, 80 feet. Whoa. For real? Whoa. Yeah. I w- What's going I mean, on I- in your mind when you're up in there? <laughs> Excuse me. Or is there anything in your mind? You're just like, holy moly. Well, it, the, that's it a big, by, that's a big machine to be carrying under you while you're going that far. Yeah. And I mean, there's the, you know, there's the whole timing aspect to it also where you're, you know, you're not just taking off at a certain point, but you're kind of landing, you know, pretty much if everything goes well, you're landing exactly where you want to land. Um, so, and you have to be um, throttling. Yeah, I mean, you have to be throttling a little bit, braking. What are you doing when you're up there? You have to be doing that to keep the bo- the the bike balanced, correct? A little bit, yeah. You sometimes change, uh, you know, a little bit of throttle input um, makes the makes the back wheel. You know, if you're in the air, you want the front end, you know, up a little bit, or maybe just you don't want it to keep dropping. You give, you know, a little throttle makes the back wheel all of a sudden been a little faster than the front so you know kind of the gyroscopic rotation um that pulls the back end down a bit um you know sometimes you you tap the you'll pull the clutch in a little bit tap the rear brake that drops the front wheel because you know sometimes you want to match the angle of the downside of the jump you're landing on perfectly with the angle of the bike so you know, in the air, if you're a little bit front end high, you 
tap the rear brake a little bit, that stops the back wheel spinning, the front wheel still spinning, front wheel drops. Um, you know, it's all it's all little technique things that you you pick up just from you know years of doing it. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, um, you then went from that you were competing pro. And you've made a business out of it for the rest of your, I mean, you just turned 50, as you said, and you're still in motocross. You're, you have a website, you have a whole business surrounded, surrounding motocross. Talk about that business that you have right now. And what's your website again? It is uh, MXP Mag. So MXPMAG.com. Dot com. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I took that over uh, myself last year. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been going well. I was the, I was the editor there for a long time and, uh, for, you know, over a decade we did, um, you know, we did print issues. We did six or seven print issues plus the website. And then, um, yeah, this year, sorry, last January 1 of 2023, I took over the website domain and all the social media. And then uh, for year one, I got away from the print side of things uh, just because it was my, my first year kind of, you know, running it. And I didn't uh, quite know what to expect from the business side of it. Um, so I decided to take print off, for year one, focus on the digital side of things. And yeah, it went really well. And then, um, yeah, we're into year two. And I think I'm going to do one kind of print issue at the end of the summer just to, you know, kind of a year wrap up. Um, Because I do miss, you know, kind of putting it together a magazine. Um, You know, that brings a lot of, uh, it's a lot of work, obviously, but it also brings a lot of, satisfaction when you're able to sit there and you know, hold in your hand a, a finished product and stuff. And I mean, I know, you know, print and everything is not uh, as popular as, as what it once was, but, um, you know, there's still, there's still a need for it in, uh, at least in our industry. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's been going well and, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to, to still be involved in the sport that, you know, that I've been doing for so long. I mean, yeah. Congratulations. Like how many people can say they were pro in a sport and been able to keep it as, and then make it a business. And now you're in your fifties and you're still doing it. Congratulations. That's uh that's amazing to be able to do that, Chris. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Thing. And you're yeah. still competing. Yeah. You're still competing. You told me recently. Well, part of my, part of my job uh, is to test bikes. Right. So um, like in November, I went down to, I flew to California for the media launch of the new Kawasaki KX450. So um, that's, that's part of my job to go on those, those test rides. So I still, you know, if I want to do this stuff, um, as you know, you know, as we get older, um, you know, our reflexes aren't what they aren't what they used to. And, um, you know, if you spent, you know, an hour doing something when you were younger, well, you know, as you get into your fifties, you better spend two or three hours doing that task if you want to stay, you know, proficient at it. So, um, yeah, for my job, I still have to, to ride. I still enjoy riding. And then, um, occasionally when the mood strikes me, I'll sign up and race, uh, you know, we call them vet races. Um, I did it in my forties and then, uh, this, Past summer, I did it as a lined up at the kind of our 
amateur national championship race and did it as a 50 year old, which was kind of, uh, that's so cool. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to say it's a bucket list thing, but it was just something, you know, sitting on the line as a 50 year old and thinking, man, I've been like, I've been doing this a long time and you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, it's, it's cool. You know, when we, when we were talking the other day, uh, we were talking about this idea of an object in motion stays in motion, you know, Newton's laws of motion, an object in motion stays in motion. You're still in motion, brother. Congratulations. First of all, to be able to do it. Of course, the, the, the goal is to be in motion, all of us. And there's a little tip for the day. Everyone's an object in motion stays in motion, stay in motion throughout your life. And you may not be in your fifties like Chris and I, but if you start that idea, that, that concept, that, that, that point when you're younger, you will stay in motion. Uh, what are you doing, Chris? Like, what? Why is that important to you at this stage in your life? That whole idea of being in motion and staying in motion. Just you know, my own makeup and and how I think. Um, I'm very aware of time. I've always been, you know, a time person. Whether it's you know, just something as simple as you know, waking up in the morning and thinking about, you know, what I'm doing for the day or, you know, where I'm going to be in 24 hours or anything like that. Just always been, you know, kind of fascinated with time. And as I've gotten older, you know, you think, you know, not only do you start thinking ahead, but you also start reflecting back. Right. And you realize that, um, you know, as I, you know, as the saying goes, if you're a golfer, you know, I think, safe to say we're on our back nine right now. Right. So, um, we better make the most of it. And, um, yeah, I'm just, part of me is just scared to stop. As you said, you know, you want to stay in motion and, you know, with your experience and, you know, the knowledge that, that we have in our fifties, you know, that, you know, if we stop moving, it's going to be that much harder to, to start up again. Right. So why not just keep, keep rolling? And, um, you know, obviously, you know, riding dirt bikes is, is maybe not the, the safest thing. Um, you know, I know people say, oh, you get, you know, hit by a car crossing the road. Well, yeah, yes and no. But when you're riding something around that, with two wheels that doesn't necessarily balance by itself, there's some, some danger to it. Um, yes, but you've built, you built up to that though. If I started riding motorcycles, I think I told you that experience, like I didn't grow up with motorcycles and I started dirt biking. I don't know. I was maybe in my late thirties or so. And, uh, that ended with a pretty gnarly broken leg and broken, um, ankle. A a lot of it's just, I didn't understand air awareness and with a motorcycle and how to balance and I and I can still ride a motorcycle and I still have one but I I don't I'm not trying to jump or anything you know so but you've built up to that that's not you didn't do that from day one you started with a 50cc bike you went to an 80 and then grew from there you know so that's the same principles apply right I mean whether you're trying to run a marathon or whether you're trying to do motocross you start at a certain point and you build slowly from there and you built all these years, you understand it that well. But yeah, you're right. At 50, probably better not take up motocross <laughs> or supercross. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, if you've yeah, never done I mean, it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously my, you know, knowledge base runs very deep and, um, you know, but I also have that, you know, the experience to know that yes, something, something could happen. So, um, you know, I feel like that's why I try to stay, um, you know, in shape off the bike because uh, that just, you know, not only so that I feel good when I'm on the bike, but also for, you know, injury prevention. You know, if if I fall off or something like that, I mean, you want to stay as flexible as possible. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, you try to to kind of mitigate the risk and, you know, try to control as, as much as, 
as you can, and then um, you just leave. There's obviously things you can't control when you're when you're riding, and you know, especially when you're competing. So you try to control as much as you can, and then um, yeah, you kind of just leave the rest to to your experience. And you know, at the end of the day, if something does happen um, and you have a hard crash, then you know, hopefully you're conditioned enough and stuff that uh, the injury isn't serious or, you know, hopefully there's no injuries at all. But uh, yeah, it's just, like I said, I just don't, I can't picture, um, I can't picture not doing it or not riding, um, you know, the thrill of, of racing. Um, you know, it's nice to line up behind a starting gate Sometimes just to get that uh, feeling that, you know, that you're about to just that adrenaline rush that, uh, that we all get from, from competition um, kind of makes you feel, reminds you that you're, that you're alive, which uh, we all need once in a while. Um, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing to, to kind of scare yourself sometimes. Right. Cause that uh, always alerts your, uh, your senses so pushing out of your comfort pushing out of your comfort zone right yeah i mean as we age and get older our comfort zone you know is a is a very nice place to be but um yeah you're right it's uh you got to get out of it sometime and uh get that that feeling so that's, that's kind of why that's where growth comes from. i keep doing it yeah like i said i keep doing it because i kind of have to for my job, if I keep if I keep wanting to to test bikes um, and do that, and then um, you know I also do it for for my own uh, mental you know, mental therapy. As I said, we call it uh, throttle therapy and <laughs> throttle therapy. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> well, Chris Chris Pomeroy, thank you so much for for being here seriously and being on my podcast a cup of joe fascinating story where it starts with with that father-son bonding moment i'm sure that was special what a magical moment for you as a kid coming home and being able to unpackage that bike from the back of your car your dad's car at 50 cc that went from there to now still doing it at 50 and beyond yeah, well, it's uh, you know, I've obviously have a lot of special memories. Um, my dad passed away a month ago, so um, you know, that's been uh, you know, this past uh, month or just over a month's been you know full of uh, reflection and and um, you know, going over all those digging way deep into the memory bank for for all those good memories, but um, you know what's really special now is that, um, you know, my son, he's 16. Uh, he's a very good rider and racer. I mean, if, you know, he's probably, you know, he's got more talent than I did. Um, he's doing, he's racing, riding. Uh, we ride together sometimes. Um, you know, we're kind of now our journey you know, we're having our own journey through the sport, which, uh, you know, is just special on a whole other level. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's very cool. I feel very, I feel very blessed, very fortunate, um, to, you know, not only to have experienced what I did, but, um, also to be, you know, where I am now. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I feel good. And I, I feel good that I'm still in touch with, with people like yourself. Um, like I said, you know, you guys were, I know you, when we talked last week, you were like, you know, you didn't agree with me, but I still say you guys were the cool kids in school and, <laughs> you know, so um, <laughs> I wanted to be you guys. And, uh, um, so yeah, I, uh, it's cool that we're able to connect and uh and do this and i'm honored to be a part of uh of this project 
Oh, thank you so much, Chris. That means a lot. And I'm sorry for the loss of your father. I uh, lost my mother seven years ago and I still think about it all the time. And um, we send our love and condolences and, and thanks for sharing that story about you and your father in that early stage. What a, what a beautiful moment. And then now you with your son passing that on. Um, that's a beautiful transfer from one father to another, to another, you know, and be able to keep the love of that sport going. And this has been a great, great discussion, Chris. Thank you so much. Uh, please, yeah, cool. please give Laura a big hello for me, big hug from me. And, um, and this has been a great discussion. Thank you very much uh, for joining me. I appreciate you. I uh, appreciate you having me on and, um, yeah, continued, uh, I wish you all the continued success. And, um, I, like I said to you, you know, last week when we were talking about this, um, and I'm, uh, Salt Lake city is, uh, your area is on my bucket list and, uh, I got to get out there soon. Cause, uh, I hear nothing but good things about the whole area. So. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's, a it's a playground. Let me tell you, it's just a perpetual playground. I, I just love it for anyone with the outdoor who loves the outdoors and you got a place to stay, Chris, you come into town, let me know for sure. And such a, such a pleasure to have you with me on this episode of a cup of Joe. So thanks everyone for joining with Chris Pomeroy all the way from Shelburne area. You don't live right in Shelburne. You're outside of Shelburne, right? You're in the country area. You've, you actually have that farm that you talked about growing up. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, we bought my parent, thank you. We bought my parents, uh, farm last year. And, um, yeah, so now we, uh, like I said, it's all about building new memories. My son, his room is my old room in the house. So that's kind of, oh, that's uh, so cool. That's cool. So, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's good that we're just, uh, a couple couple kids that were walking around the halls of uh, CDDHS and um, wondering what the what the future was going to look like and uh, you know here we are now 30 something years later uh, talking about life so I think that's I think that's very cool that is cool it's like time time has stood still for a for this last 50 60 minutes that we've been talking time has just stood still for a moment you're right to think back this has been 30 to 33 years, whatever it's been since we hung out on those hall in those halls at CDDHS, Central Dufferin District High School. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful experience this has been. Thank you, Chris. And thank you everyone for joining on this episode of A Cup of Joe with Chris Pomeroy from coming in from Shelburne, Ontario, Canada, who has started with motocross at the age of five, that story that you just heard, and continued it going pro. And then going from pro to make it in a, a profession uh, with his website and all that he does with testing bikes so many years later into his 50s. So thank you for joining, Chris. And thank you, everyone, for joining. Make it a great day.